Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Snap, snap, snap. That was my camera impression. You could do, uh, you get your little iPhone. You could do, you know, the little sound if you wanted. Uh, I guess I could. Is that the sound you make? That's your iPhone camera impression? <laughs> that's my, that's my own personal rendition. Did I introduce this yet? I have not. I'm Josh Clark. You did. Oh, I did. You didn't say this is stuff you should know. This is stuff you should know. The podcast, right? That's right. I have you noticed I've started to differentiate between the podcast and the nothing else. Oh yeah. Here, let's see what we got. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chuck, had you been, you know, in the act of vandalism, murder, theft, um, or had you done it, gotten up, and left some sort of scene behind, yeah. that picture would have constituted crime scene photography. Yeah. That is not my intro. Oh, okay. Uh, did you notice uh, in this article a guy named Alphonse Bertillon? Bertillon? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. He was a 19th century French photographer who is credited with um, creating the concept of crime scene photography for forensic police investigation. Yeah. He's also credited with creating something that any smoking gun fan will appreciate this guy for, mugshots. Yeah, I like mugshots. Mugshots, um, for, he created mugshots, I should say, for the purpose that they're used today, cataloging a criminal. This guy with this face, with these tattoos has done this crime. Yeah. Right? Or has been questioned for this crime or whatever. It's it's a way of documenting what a person looks like so there's no mistaken identity, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and when um Bertillon came up with this, it was a, it was kind of a lifesaver for people suspected of being criminals or for criminals because in France at the time, um you may be branded with a hot iron. That's how they identified repeat offenders. Oh really? Yeah. So that was kind of a save. But uh, Bertillon was also very much interested in eugenics, which was the idea that you could create um, a fitter, better human race by yeah. basically sterilizing or killing people who didn't fit the idea of fitness, right? Yeah. Epileptics, criminals, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, and uh, part of eugenics was based on um, phrenology, or the shape of the skull, the shape of the face, characteristics. And Bertillon came up with 11 character characteristics that you could measure. Drawn on ethnic lines, largely. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, but uh, using calipers and other instruments. Mm-hmm. And he came up with this uniform measurement set. That's the other reason he started doing mug shots, right? And it actually worked for a while until uh, in the uh, early turn of the century, the last century. Yeah. Not this past one, the one before. Okay. Uh, at Le- Leavenworth Prison, a guy was using this uh, Bertillon um, measurement. It was standard procedure by them. Yeah. To book uh, somebody in named William West, and this guy who was doing the measurements—that was his job. So he he knew everybody in the prison's measurements by heart, pretty much. Right. He was like, "I have measured your face before," and this William West was like, "No, I promise you, I've not been here before." And he's like, "I don't know. Let me look." So he looks it up. And sees that, yes, he has indeed come up with these same exact measurements for these 11 different distinct characteristics. What? Which Bertillon calculated to be one in about four million, the chances of two people having the same characteristics. 
And not only that, this Leavenworth forensics guy um, finds that they're attributed or cataloged with a guy by the name of William West. Uh, Here's the thing. The guy he was booking, processing, mm-hmm. wasn't lying. The other William West was still in prison in Leavenworth with the same 11 characteristics. So as of that guy's processing, there were two William Wests with identical facial characteristics in Leavenworth at the same time. So was that the beginning of the end of mugshots being used in that way? Pretty much. Because from what I understand, with the characteristics, it was sort of like he was using that as proof. Like, just look at the guy. Just look at him. Right. Look at the face. Well, not not only that, by studying, by creating a catalog of people yeah. along these 11 characteristics, like how far apart your eyes were, like how protruding your eye, your eyebrow ridge is, that yeah. kind of thing, um, you would conceivably, and then we're very much doing something along the same lines with DNA today, right. um, we're conceivably saying, well, this person with this, you know, pronounced eyebrow ridge is, um, you know, very much predisposed to acts of murder and violence because if you, as you've seen, all these other people that we've cataloged have this protruding eyebrow ridge and that common characteristic yeah. shows that you're a murderer. Not a very good way to, to nab a criminal. No, but it's the same point that we're at with these DNA databases that we've spoken about too, Chuck. That's right. Let's get back to crime scene photography, shall we? Yes, uh, Bertillon was uh, the first guy to really do that and he, um, he was the first guy to, I mean... There's been forensic photography, they said, since pretty much the camera's been around. Yeah. But he was the first guy to say, you know what, let's do some different angles and let's get some real close-ups and let's survey the whole scene. Mm-hmm. And now we have sort of a picture of what the whole crime scene looks like. Right. And, and, and that was crime scene methodical. He was the first to really apply a method to it before um, it kind of grew out of newspapers printing crime scene photos. Yeah. Like the guy in Road to Perdition, um, Jude Law. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was a good movie. Yeah. But they would they would go for the art or the shock value of it, not necessarily yeah. the evidentiary Back value the of it. So yeah, yeah, it's very sensationalistic. Yeah, uh, crime scene photography is obviously very important because uh, evidence is transitory. Um, you clean up a crime scene, you remove the body, mm-hmm. lift the fingerprints, you do all that stuff. So you need to get it while the 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 egg is still in the pan, as they say. Who's, who says that? that? No, I think you just said that. So before everyone else comes in and does their thing, um, the crime scene photographer, and there's a lot of pressure on, on these men and women to go in first because they've got their CSI guys outside saying, all right, come on, let's get this over with so we can start analyzing it. Right. But they got to be first because you don't want to disrupt the scene. Yeah. And you have to take your time and you have to do it right. And there's standard procedures that you have to come up with. Very much. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a high pressure job. Uh, it's, so. it's a very important job. You remember when we were talking about um, blood pattern analysis? Uh, just a couple of days ago. It seems, yeah, it seems like <laughs> just no time at all. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about how maybe some police departments have people pulling double duty with blood pattern analysis. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily so with crime scene photography. Uh, th- this isn't so, it, this is not n- as much an art as a science, even though it, it's something that grew out of an art. Um, this this position is very valuable, so much so that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has its own uh, crime scene photography and videography department. Oh, really? And they dispatch them independently of the um, police cops. Force? Interesting. Yeah. So they, there'll be two on the scene because they found that documenting a crime scene is so important to, yeah. to closing a case that they just they have their own peeps doing it. 
Their own peeps. Their own homies. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the classifications of forensic photos. There's uh, three of them, and at first it sounds like no duh, but it's a little more interesting than that. <laughs> You've got your overview, you got your mid-range, you got your close-up. You think overview, you think, yeah, they just take the big wide shot. They take a lot more than that. They take pictures of the outside of the buildings. Yeah. They take a picture entrances. of entrances and exits. Yeah. They take pictures of, uh, let's say it's there's a crowd of folks standing around that police tape. Yeah. You know, in the movies, they always return to the scene of the crime. Yeah. You can pick them out of that crowd, so they take pictures of the crowd. Not only that, if the police are canvassing the crowd and some people wander off or whatever, you yeah. can use that to go find those people who may be potential witnesses. Exactly. Uh, they will take pictures of uh, not just the room, but every angle of the room, the corners of the room, mm-hmm. um, the different rooms in, like, let's say the, a murder occurred in a bedroom. They're not just going to stick to the bedroom. They're going to take pictures of all the rooms in the house because they may say, uh, hey, look in that picture. The, the phone was off the hook yeah. in the other room. So dun, dun, dun. Yeah, let's go uh, lift fingerprints off the phone handle yeah. or trace the last call that was made, something like that. The so call is all over coming the from upstairs. <laughs> it's inside the house. Yeah. Uh, so that's the overview. That's the shot, overview. Right? And that that pretty much is like, okay, here's the boring part. And then the, oh, my God. Yeah. Now we're at the uh, the mid, mid-range, right? Yeah, that's when you zoom in a bit on some of the gruesome aspects of the crime. I've told you before, I think I've mentioned it, that I've seen like some some crime scene photography that's really like, ugh, yeah. guy in the woods. No, thank you. Yeah. Not for, you know, Kurt Cobain, people are always trying to find that photo. Yeah. His, his, well, it wasn't a crime scene, but his death scene. Yeah. Or, not, or was it? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Courtney, or who was that, uh, investigative journalist that tried to pin it on her? I don't know. There was a documentary. Yeah. It was that guy, Nick, uh, something or other. Nick Cage. No. Nick Cave. Nick Love. No. None of those people. Nick and Jessica. Yes. That's who it was. Okay. Uh, so the mid range shots are pieces of evidence, um, like the murder weapon, if it's there. Um, but you're not, you know, you're going to do some different variations. You're going to zoom in on the murder weapon, obviously. Right. But you also want to show it in relation to where it is on the scene. Yeah. Like it was laying, uh, you know, on the floor three feet from the body. Yes. And now you can take it away now. Right. Um, after the mid-range, we come to the close-up. And the close-up's going to be like maybe the murder instrument, um, a tattoo on the victim's body. Yeah. Um, a scar, s- a scar mm-hmm. serial number. If uh, somebody used like a DVD player to beat somebody else to death with it, you <laughs> got to catalog the murder <laughs> weapon, that kind of thing. Yeah, good point. Um, so you, th- this is what the close-up's useful for. Uh, and then when you're taking a, a close-up photo, you take one with like a, an instrument, like a ruler or something like that, to provide scale. Yeah. And then you also take a duplicate photo, the same photo, without the measuring device. So the defense can't be like, oh, well, that ruler was actually covering up, you know, (laughs) incontrovertible evidence that my client was not guilty. Yeah, covering up the name of the killer. Right. Yeah. So it's important to take two. You're right. Uh, They also have to be really detailed with a photo log, um, has all the details. Uh, Nowadays with digital photography, you have, you know, you can have the sequence of photo uh, number, the date and time, all that, like, already stamped on. Mm Mm-hmm. But back in the day, they would, you know, use a, a, a log and a book to record all this. Um, the the filters that they use, like, hey, I used a daylight filter out here because I had to, but it's, you know, it can't be tainted, so you got to let people know that that was a filter used. You got to be honest. Got to be very honest. Yep. Chuck, we also mentioned that you, um, we, there's a standard operating procedure that you have to come up with. One of the big 
one of the big aspects that lends credence to crime scene photography is that sensationalism has been pulled completely out of it, has no place in it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways that you ensure that you, your photographers aren't being sensational or can't even be accused of being sensational is by coming up with the standard operating procedure and method that you are, are going to employ when taking photographs, right? Yeah. So you have to have things like maximum depth of field, yeah. which is the amount of a photograph that's crisp and clear and in focus, right? You can't be all arty and do one of those like uh, portrait things where the, the background is blurry. Right. It might look neat. If you're telling the the cadaver to make love to the camera, yeah. you're 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 on the wrong path with your crime scene photography. Yeah, the last thing you want is for your boss to say, "Boy, these are really sensational." Yes, because while you might say, "Well, thanks," that's not what you're looking for. <laughs> no, I know, <laughs> no, not at all. You don't want art school calling you. So, other technical specs that should make up this um, photo taking procedure, right? Are um, you want to make sure that the photo is as sharp, sharp as possible? Um, and that none of the devices that you're using to measure are blocking anything. You don't want to get creative with how you take the photo. You don't want to cover up anything, yeah. leave anything out. No. You can't let anything be blurry that's important, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that's just part of this larger standard, standard operating procedure, correct? Yeah, and that's uh, for, for the picture taken itself. Right. But the procedure also includes afterward, um, you have to have a, a standard chain of custody, um, image security because, you know, Dexter leaves a crime scene with the camera and what's he going to do with it? Right. Or if he hands it to, um, what's the one guy? The yeah, other? the funny the comic relief. Yeah. Have you seen his truck? It oh, was yeah. in yeah. one episode. I couldn't believe yeah. it. But he hands it to, um, I don't want to get any emails, Chuck. Well, look it up. He hands it to uh, Makusa. Yeah, Makusa. And, um... Makusa should sign something that says, I took custody of this flash drive yeah. um, from Dexter Morgan, and my name is Makusa. Exactly. And then he'll make some vague sexual joke, Yeah, and everyone will laugh at home. Right. Uh, you have to preserve that original digital image. So let's say you want to uh, blow it up and uh, change the contrast a bit to, to highlight something. That's all great. That's all groovy. But you have to note that you've done that, and yep. you have to have the original in its original form and format as whatever. If it's a JPEG, yeah. you can't make it a, a GIF or a GIF. Certainly not an animated GIF. That's gruesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. Uh, there are a lot of times there's uh, image uh, security software to make sure everything stays like it should. Uh, you have to store it in a... You know, like on a hard drive, you have to have backups of it. Right. Just got to be really, really, really detailed. It's not like your vacation photos. No, anytime you do anything to manipulate that photo, you should log it. And uh, be again, you have to be just be completely honest. You shouldn't have any dog in the fight. No, of course not. You're just your job is to document this scene and and extract or prevent any emotion from coming into it as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, let's talk about. The uh, kit, which isn't super exciting, but you're going to have your camera, maybe a couple, Yeah, if you're into that. Yeah. You're going to have a variety of lenses that uh, will work for different crime scenes. Uh, you're going to have some filters if you need them. You want your wide-angle lens. You want your mid-range. You want, uh, if you want to zoom in on something and you don't want to get down on the floor, right. you might want to zoom lens. Yeah. Be a good idea. Uh, light meter. Make sure everything looks great. Uh, so, Chuck, what is the, um, I noticed the gray card. What's the gray card? I saw it, it works with the light meter. Yeah, I think you use that to to uh, to set your meter. Is that right? Like you use the like that's your 
like your meter understands this is the gray card. It's I think the, so. It's the zero value. I think so. I think it's sort of like white balancing a video camera. I gotcha. Okay. I might, I might have that wrong though. Um, and generally you're going to uh, use color unless, uh, they said things like latent fingerprints sometimes or, or show up better in black and white. Yes, but so most of the time like you're, you're going to use color. Yeah. Should we mention video since uh, I said that word? Yeah, I think um, it's become a lot more prevalent since the advent of the video camera. Right? <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> and especially nowadays, you know, the uh, they have SLRs that shoot great high-def video. I've seen it. So you can have all-in-one package here. I know. You don't have to have a couple of cameras uh, to- you have to tote around. So is SLR a um, brand name? No. Okay. It's uh Single lens reflex, I believe. That's a guess. All right, Josh, videotape. You know a lot about photography, don't you? Well, my dad's a big shutterbug. Nice. I grew up with it. Uh, videotape is used a lot nowadays, and that can do a lot of things that uh, regular SLR photography cannot, like show you. You can literally walk a jury through a crime scene and show relationships to, uh, you know, the body or the. Uh, the weapons, like a picture is one thing. It's worth a thousand words. Sure, at least. But 24 frames per second, that's worth uh, 240,000. Right. I would say. Yes. So video is used a lot of times, and they say if there's video, that they actually video before they take the still photographs. And the CSI guys are out there going, oh, come on. You going to draw a picture too? <laughs> well, that's what they used to do. Originally, that set up? they would draw. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, they would uh, sketch the crime scene. But of course, I mean, it doesn't get a lot more subjective than sketches. Yeah. So when photography came along, people seized on it pretty quick. When the video camera came along, people were like, "Oh, this is just as good, if not better." Let's accompany yeah. the two. But you need both. Uh, they they use infrared film sometimes mm-hmm. if it's uh, dark and you need to get a blood stain. Yep. That's when you're you're. Super uh, uh, fancy, I think. Yes. What else? Oh, I'll tell you the thing I thought was cool was the, um, if you video blood spatter mm-hmm. on a wall, let's say someone's uh, brains were blown out over a wall, you could potentially, <laughs> you could potentially photograph that, uh, put a yardstick in there as, as a, as a frame of reference. And then years later or days later, you can, uh, make a slide, you know, if it's, a, if, if, if it's a slide, then you can project that onto the wall, mm-hmm. even onto that wall, actual size. So you can kind of recreate it as it was before it got all cleaned up. Project it right there on the wall. That is really neat. Kind of like Princess Leia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. When when R2-D2, uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Or when R2-D2 was projecting her as yeah. a hologram. Exactly. Yeah. Although nothing like that. Um, you want to talk about Ouija? Yeah, Ouija's a, one cool cat. What's his deal? Ouija is uh, the, I guess, pseudonym of a guy named Arthur Felig. Yeah. And he was big from the 20s to, I think, the 50s. Uh, he was a, an independent photographer, photojournalist. And uh, he had a special knack for uh, sniffing out crime scenes, so much so that someone once complimented him that he had the sense of a Ouija board to predict when a crime was going to occur so he would be in the right place at the right time to like, really get all the, the photography he wanted out of it, right? How did he do that? Well, he lived in a shack behind the police station in Manhattan, <laughs> okay. and he had a police scanner. 
Right. Um, and Tipsters, probably. Yeah, he basically didn't have a life. So he just sat around listening to the police scanner, and he would just head on over. He also had a, a pretty extensive network of informants, um, cops, robbers, bar keeps, yeah. you know, prostitutes, whoever. I wonder if they based... Uh in LA Confidential, was it Danny DeVito? Was the was he the photographer? No, I think this guy was way more put together than Danny DeVito's character was. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah, he. Um, although it would make sense because Ouija, which he he adopted that name, but he spelled it phonetically W E E G E E. Just call me Ouija. Right. Um, he did travel to LA and uh, he created a spread called Naked City, and it became the the um, movie The Naked City. Ah, okay. right. But he was just this famous crime scene photographer. One of the things that he became famous for was not just the crime scene. Any schmoke could, you know, shoot a dead body, and that was something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he would often turn and just start taking photos, like close-ups of the, of the crowd in their prurient ecstasy. You know, like <laughs> with these crazy, like some would be laughing and others would be smiling and some would be crying. And it was just like it would capture the range of emotion. And he has one very famous photograph called Their First Murder that was taken in Williamsburg, which is Hipster Central now in Brooklyn. Oh. Um, and they, uh, it's just this group of people of all ages. They all seem to be white, but they're all just in this weird pose, like almost writhing in ecstasy. Um on the scene of a murder, like, before the cops have even got there, like that crowd that crowds around. Oh, yeah, look at them. Like, uh, Ray, Bar- Ray Bradbury wrote about them. Really? The, the crowd, they would be there on the scene when uh, an accident occurred. Interesting. It's kind of like that. But anyway, Ouija had some pretty good stuff. Well, and that, that kind of brings up a, a point that crime scene photographs have been viewed, and this is ones from back in the day, I don't think they view new ones as art, but in... Uh, in Hollywood, in L.A., they dug up in 2001 a box. Well, I say a box. It's probably more than one box. Yeah, a trove. <laughs> a trove, a treasure trove, if you will, of old forensic photos. And some of them were some of the most infamous uh, crimes and murders in the, in the history. And Black Dahlia comes to mind. I don't know if that was in there. but Yeah, I wonder if it was in there. I'm sure it was. Probably so. And uh, some of these negatives were uh, decomposing and deteriorating at this point. So they said... You know what? We should preserve these because it's historical record, and some of these are really great photographs. And so, uh, years later, they actually took it on tour. Yeah, in uh, art galleries. What was it called? I think it was called. Uh, oh no, Ouija did that, didn't he? Yeah, Ouija had one in New York called uh, "Ouija Murder Is My Business." <laughs> he, I, I read a quote from him. There's a pretty cool book, Chuck, called um, "Shots in the Dark." It's oh yeah, based on like a true TV documentary, I think. Wow. But it's it's it, a lot of crime scene photography, but it's an explanation about crime scene photography too. But there's a quote from from Ouija where like gangsters in the 40s and 50s, like the big ones, they reveled in their notoriety. But it was the young punks who tried to like cover up and pretend they weren't, you know, criminals. And he would always say to them like, "You just wait until you make it big, you punk. Then I'll take your picture." So he's a tough guy. Really? Yeah. Is he still around? No, I think he's dead. He was working in the 20s through the 50s. Well, I mean, who knows how old he was? He's immortal. <laughs> he could be, like, really old. So crime scene photography? I don't have anything else. I don't either. Pretty straightforward. If you want to see Ouija's Their First Murder, it's pretty interesting. Um, you should type in crime scene photography in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. This concludes our um, Dexter Lovin' series. 
Valentine Week series of crime and documentation. Indeed. Um, and since I said search bar, that means Chuck. Of course, it's time for listener mail. Yeah, we're doing a shout out. And I know I say we never do them, but we're kind of doing them more. We never do <laughs> shouts out. The only reason I'm doing this is because this uh, this lady has been writing me since last summer august i think you really make them wait for a birthday shout out no she broke me in august for for this dude's birthday which is now oh wow so i thought you know persistence pays off yeah sarah so uh her boyfriend his name is uh graham baker and he is turning 25 i believe tomorrow she says she's collecting birthday greetings and he's such a super fan that she thought I think he actually said, if I ever received anything from Josh and Chuck, I would probably lose my mind. So hopefully he's going crazy right now. <laughs> and she said, here's some information about him that you should read. He is, turns 25 on February 18th. He's doing his master's in religious studies at McMaster University in Canada, Ontario, Canada. Yeah. And uh, it's going to complete his thesis this summer. He needs some encouragement, she says, so keep on plugging away there, Graham. He's originally from Edmonton, Josh. Calls Calgary his home and is in Hamilton until summer of 2011. That's a lot of information. She says, I live in Calgary. Oh, there's more. Is his social security number in there? No. Uh, they both listen to Stuff Mom Never Told You and uh, Stuff You Should Know on their road trips. Nice. He lived in Prague for four months to study abroad. Very cool. He really likes Star Trek. <laughs> He's really funny. And his two favorite bands? Yes. The Henry Clay People. No. Uh, the band. No, those are my two favorite bands. <laughs> um, Jimmy Cliff. No. Wilco and the National. Todd Rundgren. And Todd Rundgren. So, Graham, happy birthday, dude. And tell Sarah to quit emailing us. This, this has been it, yeah. going on for months. Yeah, I think you can reasonably block her now. Yeah, she's gone. But, um, yeah, happy birthday, dude. And thanks for listening. Good luck with that. Uh, the religious studies. Happy birthday, Graham. And, Sarah, that was very kind of you. So, um... If you have a birthday request, birthday shout-out request, don't send it. You can send us something else, though. And if you do, go ahead and email us at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?